Welcome to Ellison's Connects, the official podcast by Ellison Solicitors, where we bring together expert professionals from a wide range of areas to discuss key developments and trends. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Ellison's Connects. In this episode, we'll be discussing alienation considerations from the perspective of an outgoing tenant. I'm Rosanna Sayers within the commercial property team and I'm joined by my colleague Hardrick Royal, also a solicitor in the commercial property team. So I think the best place to start Harjit would really be to discuss alienation and what does this word actually mean. So the definition is that it is the disposal of an interest in leasehold property and this can mean any number of things ranging from assignment, underletting, charging or sharing occupation. There are a number of ways to dispose of leasehold property, some of which are short term and others are permanent, albeit not always seemingly permanent. When you're intending to part with your interest in a leasehold property, we highly recommend that you engage the services of a solicitor early on in the process and also a commercial agent who can not only market the property for you, but also agree the terms such as premium and other finer details such as including any stock that's to form part of the sale. Harjit, would you like to discuss the provisions of assignment? Yes, of course. Thank you. Effectively, assignment means to sell your leasehold interest onto another party. It's standard in modern leases to not be able to sell part of the lease or just the parking spaces onto someone else. A unit can only be sold as one whole part. So with assignment, it may be a requirement under the lease um, where the tenant is not to assign the lease without the consent of the landlord, which cannot be unreasonably withheld. Under the lease, the tenant may be required to provide an ARGA, which is an authorised guarantee agreement. However, where a lease does not specify, and if it is reasonable in the circumstances, the landlord may request the tenant to provide an ARGA as a condition of the landlord's consent. When entering into an ARGA, the outgoing tenant sits as a guarantor for the performance by the new tenant of the tenant covenants under the lease. The ARGA was first introduced to address the issues by providing a legal mechanism that allows landlords to hold the original tenant liable even after an assignment. Under an ARGA, the outgoing tenant cannot be required to guarantee performance by anyone other than the immediate assignee. Now, if the new tenant fails to fulfil obligations under the lease, such as paying rent and other outgoings at the property and compliance with the maintaining or repairing of obligations, the landlord has the right to pursue remedies against the original tenant, i.e. the guarantor, to pay the rent or otherwise remedy any tenant default. The ARGA provides the landlord with an additional layer of security, um, ensuring that there is someone financially responsible for the lease terms, even after the original tenant has dispensed of the lease. It helps protect the landlord's interest and allows for the continuation of the lease without any disruption. Although the requirement of an ARGA is widely contended, it is worthwhile that landlords or outgoing tenants and new tenants are aware of the impact and the purpose of an ARGA. It's important for outgoing tenants to understand the implications of an ARGA and as it can potentially bind them to ongoing responsibility for the performance of the tenant covenants under a lease, even after assigning or transferring the lease, and are no longer in control or occupation of the lease. So, Harjit, you've mentioned that the outgoing tenant isn't going to have any control over what the incoming tenant does with the property, but they're still going to be liable. So, 
if they're assigning and there is an ARGA requirement, it's not a permanent solution for an outgoing tenant to dispose of all of their liability. That's something they need to consider. Yeah, that's a really good point as well um, that tenants need to be aware of at the beginning as well or at the beginning of the negotiation stages. And where you've mentioned landlord's consent, I suppose that's another thing that they'll need to consider is it's another document to be entered into. So it's going to affect the time frame. They're going to have to deal with another probably set of solicitors. And also there's another set of costs involved there for is. an outgoing tenant. So yeah, it sounds like it's um, important for them to speak with the landlord early on in the transaction to find out if they are going to be getting consent because the landlord might also have other requirements. I've seen on other transactions that a landlord will say, okay, who is this incoming tenant? Tell me about them. They might want bank references. Mm -hmm. If it's a startup company with no capital behind them, they might want other kind of references or say, okay, I'll let them you know, be the new tenant, but I want a rent deposit. So um, that's also something the agent can assist with in negotiations. So on to underletting, which is another option for a tenant. As leases can vary in terms from five years up to 25 years plus, it's common that a property is not always going to be serving a tenant at any one time. So they may decide that for the next couple of years, they're not going to be trading from that premises or they aren't using it to its full advantage. So underletting is a really useful tool for a tenant in order to generate income from the property, but they still don't have to part with their full possession and use of the property. A tenant in this instance would agree terms with a new, what we would call undertenant, and create a short-term letting that is shorter than the term of their existing lease. Like with assignment, it is common for the outgoing tenant, in this instance, who would become a landlord, they would still need to obtain their landlord's consent prior to this being entered into. So once again, it's important to factor this into your time and costs. Aside from the landlord likely wanting to approve the form of underlease itself, the landlord would also want evidence that the underlease has been excluded from the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. So the final two options that we'll be discussing today are sharing occupation and charging. Harjit, would you like to run through those? Sure. Just just before we go on to that, with the point about underletting, a tenant should also be aware that they are responsible and liable for the obligations of their terms um, under the existing lease throughout the term of the underlease. So even though they've sublet or underlet to a underlessee or a new tenant, the head landlord will still be responsible throughout the term of the underlease. Yeah, so it's very important for any tenant, if you're looking to underlet to another party, you need to make sure that they're going to basically take care of that property in the exact same way that you will, because if they breach your lease with the landlord, you're still liable. So the next point that we'll be discussing very briefly is charging. Um, This is where a tenant may need to grant a charge over its leasehold interest as security in raising funds, finance, either for their business or um, they're looking to expand. Um, But of course, this is subject to landlord's consent. And of course, for landlords, there are issues that can arise should the tenant default under the mortgage, allowing the lender to then enforce and exercise its remedies. So this is another point for tenants to also consider, as well as landlords. Um, Majority of the times, if it is a much long lease, um, it may be that they can charge the property, but anything of a shorter lease, landlords may reject that. 
And then the final option that we'll be discussing today is sharing occupation. This is exactly how it sounds. You as a tenant would remain in occupation and still have the sole responsibility for paying the rent. It's possible that the lease may prohibit this or this could be permitted with the landlord's consent. If the lease does permit this, then it's usual for this permission to be caveated such that consent will only apply to companies within the same group as the existing tenant. We would expect to see such clauses permitting sharing occupation more freely in the lease for a department store which has concessions. Oh, so that would be more like John Lewis and it's got all the makeup counters for all of the different companies. Whereas, yeah, if you have your typical um, high street shop um, with, let's say, a flat above it, you're unlikely going to be able to share occupation. Also, it doesn't seem like it would be viable in a lot of instances or... I suppose if you had an office building and there was different companies within the larger group, that would make sense to be able to share occupation in those circumstances. But yeah, like you say, the landlord will still go to the original tenant for compliance of the lease terms. That was our snapshot of the different options of alienation for outgoing tenants that they may want to consider. So I think we can summarise by saying it's definitely important that you engage a solicitor and agent early on in the process because we can review your lease, tell you exactly what you can and can't do under the lease to save you wasting time or costs involved with that. And also, to, if you do need to get consent from your landlord, seek this as early on as possible so this can then save you further time and potential costs later down the line. And also, consider your liability in the long term. If you do have a requirement that you enter into an AGA agreement, then you need to consider this because whilst you could sell your lease in year five of the term, you could be called upon four years later if the person you sold to isn't complying with the terms of the lease. Also, if your landlord must be giving consent and is unreasonably withholding this, this is where you might want to speak to a dispute resolution solicitor to resolve this. If you do have any questions, please do get in touch with a member of the Commercial Property Department at Ellison's. Thank you for listening to Ellison's Connects and many thanks to my colleague Harjit for joining me in this episode. Any additional guides and insights we've mentioned today will be available on our website. We hope you found this episode insightful. If you would like to discuss anything further on this subject, then please do get in touch via our website, ellisonsolicitors.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social channels to keep up to date with the latest news and insights. Any information shared on this podcast was accurate at the time of recording. However, we advise speaking to your usual Ellison's advisor to make sure there hasn't been any changes since. Thank you to podtalk.co.uk for producing this podcast series.